sure. welcome, welcome to a free bean salad. This is the show where we do the things with the stuff and the guys yeah, in, the, in side. the side. Okay. Uh, th- yeah, uh, we we watch a film and we talk about it. And this week we watched uh, The Wretched, which is uh, uh, an American film from 2012, based off of. Uh, uh, an English translation of a French musical from 1980 based off of a French book from not 1980. No. Uh, yep. <laughs> it came out some other year. Yeah, some think, place uh, far away. I think it was late 1800s, maybe. I don't know, though, for certain. Yep. Should have fact-checked that before, uh... I don't see why it matters. Uh, what did you think of this film? Do you recommend it, yes or no? I recommend it. Oh. But with a, ca- but with a caveat, uh, in that it's not a great adaptation of what I think is a perfectly good musical. Alright, well, I'm gonna, uh, note to Jack in post, insert a drum roll here. <laughs> <laughs> I give this film a lay miss. <laughs> uh, we should clarify, Les Mis is the movie we watched. I already said the name of the movie. You said The Wretched. That's what it translates to. I know, but people might not have picked up on that. Yeah, well, people are stupid. Yeah, uh, <laughs> yeah I give it a lay miss. Uh, th- thank you, thank you. We both gave it the same rating, oddly enough, despite We're... the fact that I don't recommend it and you do. Well, I mean, we both gave a... Five out of ten. So that's you know, that's very teetering on the edge. Down the middle. I, I guess you're closer to a six. I'm closer to a four. I th- yeah. I was just about to say I I would even add a push put this at a six. I think I had it at a six originally, and then I put it to a five, and then you originally had it at a six. Yeah, and then I was like, actually, no, I really didn't enjoy that at all. <laughs> no, it's yeah. I think it's a poor adaptation of a musical that I quite like. Um. But I do have notes. I yeah, do have notes. We're, we're, we're both coming from this from very different perspectives because, of course, uh, this is my first time consuming this story yeah. in any form. Uh, and <laughs> you have both seen this movie before and seen other productions of yeah, I've the seen musical before. T- two productions of the musical. So, yeah. One professional, one amateur, slash, and the, the amateur one was kind of uh, abridged <coughs> as well. Oh, when, you want we, you want abridged? I'll give you abridged, <laughs> ladies and gentlemen. I uh, spoilers for the record for uh, at the very least this film version of Lame is uh, because Which I omits a heap of shit because <laughs> I am going to do my best to summarize this two and a half hour film in hopefully like under two three minutes. So there's this guy called Jean Valjean, right? He stole a loaf of bread, got five years imprisonment, tried to run away, got, like, another 15 years imprisonment. Uh, and then he's on parole. He's, he's, you know, forced labor and all that for, like, 19 years. And then he's on parole, and his parole officer's dude named Javert, right? And Javert's like, I'm Javert. He says that every single time he appears on screen. Uh, or at the very least, I said it every single time he appeared on screen. He's like, right, don't go breaking any laws again. Uh, you're on parole, dickhead. And then Jean Valjean's like, fuck that. And then he decides to disappear. And then Javert's like, ah, you curse you. I'm gonna find you and then kill you, but maybe do a little smooch. Uh, And then Jean Valjean's like, I need to disappear and, you know, keep a low profile. I'll become the mayor of Paris. Uh, And then, uh, for some reason, his duties as mayor involve running a factory. Uh, and Anne Hathaway works at the factory, and uh, the factory foreman there 
uh, tries to sexually assault every single woman working there. Uh, and Anne Hathaway's like, uh, actually, don't sexually assault me, please, and gets thrown out on the street. And then she's like, well, fuck, my child, who is living with an innkeeper, needs money, so I'm going to become a prostitute and cut my hair and get my teeth pulled out. And, oh, no, I'm sick and I'm dead. And then Jean Valjean's like, oh, fuck, I gotta look after the child now, I guess. And he goes and he takes the child. And then the innkeeper is like, ah, oh, don't do that you dick. And then Javert is like, my god, it's it's you. Uh, and then uh, cut to eight years later, because nothing really happens, and that child grows up to be Amanda Seyfried. And then people are like, hey, the last revolution kind of didn't fucking work. Let's do it again. And then they have a revolution for about 15 minutes. They have like a bunch of battles which happen back to back. A bunch of people die, and it doesn't really go anywhere. Uh, and also, there's this one girl that's like, Hey, I love this boy, but he loves Amanda Seyfried. I'm dead now. Uh, and he just doesn't... Re nothing nothing really comes of it. Uh, it's meant to be like a thing of like, Oh, she's lower class, and so he doesn't love her. But uh, he never faces any comeuppance, which, as we know, in all good storytelling, uh, the bad guys should be punished. Uh, bring back the Hayes Code. Uh... So, yeah, Amanda Seyfried is like, ah, oh, I, I love this boy, I'm gonna get married to him. And Javert is like, ah, oh, fuck, I'm actually, I'm, I'm gonna have a breakdown over the course of one scene, and I'm dead now. Uh, that's, that storyline didn't go anywhere. And then Jean Valjean's like, cool, go marry the, the girl, but also, uh, by the way, I'm a criminal, but don't tell anyone else that. I'm gonna go to a church now, and then some time passes, and then the dude's like, you know what? Let's go see that criminal, uh, even though he told us explicitly fucking not to. And they go to see him, and he's like, Hi, I'm dying. Oh, Anne Hathaway's still alive, and now I'm dead. Then the end happens. Basically, there's about three or four different plot lines, none of which really go anywhere, and none of which really says anything interesting. The end. <laughs> Did I miss anything? Yeah. What'd I miss? You got the conditions of his parole wrong. Did I? Yep. Conditions of his parole are... Ba and as well, the kind of consequences of his parole being he can't get work because all his paperwork says dangerous man, but part of his parole is every month he has to fucking hey, take... Hey, dickheads, like, there's a reason this is a summary. <laughs> he has to take a... like. He has to are you journey. saying that he wasn't able... That, that he was allowed to commit crimes? Are you saying that I was wrong there? Well, no. Exactly. So, <laughs> I was summarising. Summarising. I wasn't... There's a reason... You also left out the priest, who's, like, kind of a pivotal character. He in, appears uh, for, like, five seconds. Yeah, and he changes the course of Jean Valjean's life. Not really. Jean yeah, Valjean... Does. How? He completely... He basically teaches him, hey, look, I'm gonna give you a second chance. Do good with this fucking heap of money I'm gonna give you. And that's why he goes and starts that factory to give people jobs because the monarchy aren't taking care of their people. Yeah, he becomes the mayor to keep a low profile. I said that. <laughs> but um, more or less, you did get what Tom Hooper is. It Tom Hooper, Tom. Yeah. Yeah. What he presents. Tom Hooper. Of yeah, Tom Hooper indeed. He really glosses over a lot <coughs> of stuff in this version. Like uh, I was only thinking about it today. Amanda Seyfried's not in this movie for a whole lot of time. Yeah. Whereas Cassette is very much like a... She's on the fucking poster. Yeah, she's kind of a big deal in the original musical. Like, and as well, I was, um... 
mentioned before, like that, I think that is my, my main issue with this version of the story is it gives you just enough to kind of get the like a glimpse of the themes but leaves out so much shit like all the stuff that kind of digs into them like there's loads of soliloquies like, like musical sol- soliloquies in uh other productions that kind of explore like uh, like as i think the big one is javert's fucking like meltdown like in in the action in the yeah. original version that's like a real slow burner <clears throat> every time him and jean valjean meet he has like a little soliloquy he's like oh he's like wait he's like you know, kind of in like a, a moral quandary. Nope, here it's just, I'm going to catch you, I'm going to catch you, I'm going to catch you. Maybe I shouldn't catch him, I'm dead. Yeah, it's, yeah, I think it, it does not do that whole storyline justice at all. Um, but I did like it whenever he came on screen and I, <laughs> I got to say, I'm Javert. Yeah. That was fun. I enjoyed that. Uh, yeah, I really don't think this version of the story does it justice because I think there's a lot of interesting shit that just isn't dug into. Like the... The stage version is more like fucking three hours long. So that's half an hour material that they've just cut out. That's a sixth of the story. Oh, God, yeah. If it was a half hour longer, that would be too long. But two and a half hours is a perfectly justified length for this piece of shit. Exactly. It's like if you're going to go to the trouble of making it two and a half hours long, at least add in a half hour extra material that kind of gives any of it some fucking substance. I think, you know, I, I don't know. Yeah, I do have a lot of issues with this uh, film, and I think part of it isn't necessarily the fault of the director. I think there are certain uh, conventions of uh, stage narratives that don't necessarily translate very well to the screen. Yeah, for example, the convention, apparently classist assholes get to marry Amanda (laughs) Seyfried and face no repercussions. (laughs) Well, see, I think, like... I think the weird Javert should have come (laughs) and Javert should have what should have happened is Javert should have become a good guy and should have uh, gone and and shot him in the face for being a nasty man and then Javert and Jean Valjean should have had a kiss see I think this leads are you saying that would not be a better film no I'd say that would be really nice but I think again another problem I have with this film is it tries to frame the ending as and you know this is fucking typical of the world of big budget films everyone wants a happy ending but the ending yeah Anne Hathaway's still alive at the end (laughs) the ending of Les Mis isn't necessarily a happy one like the you know is um especially with the whole storyline of the revolution and like Marius's (laughs) you mean the whole 15 minutes of the revolution the whole 15 minutes it gets in this fucking movie um we're gonna have a revolution fight 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 ah they're all dead let's never mention it again yeah in like you know it's kind of the way I've always read that storyline, the real version of it anyways, is that, um, you know, we have Marius, who's played by what's-his-fucking-face in this version. So, I, mean, I have it in my notes. Uh, is, I he, think... is he the bloke from Fantastic Feast? Yeah. Eddie Redmayne? Eddie Redmayne. I think he's terrible as Marius. Can't wait for Fantastic Beasts free. Please don't give her any money. <laughs> That's uh, what they're calling it. I don't. I don't know why. Um, like you know, Marius is kind of a contentious character. I'm gonna say because he's like he comes from aristocracy, but he wants to fight in the revolution. But he's kind of at odds with the rest of the rebels because they're all like, "Dude, you're only doing. You're only fighting this revolution so that your life can go back to normal and you can doink that girl." That's pretty much the only reason he's there. And all the rebels kind of 
call him up on it. Oh, I but, didn't pick up on any of that in this version. <laughs> it is there for about a second. And like he do he gets called up on it, but like it's you know, there's one line in particular, it's like, uh, what are we rich kids uh fighting for a night at the opera or something like that? Kind of that whole idea. Whereas a lot of them are, you know, more like working class, like being like, hey, we need to level the playing field. But in the, you know, it's basically the point that is made throughout is that Marius, regardless of the outcome of the revolution, kind of can go back to a normal life if it all goes to shit. It's kind of that whole idea of, uh, I think I've mentioned this before in the podcast, you will find that in political circles, the people that cry the most for like a social upheaval or like an... And like an anarchist society are normally people of like middle to upper middle class standing because, you know, it's if it, if if they're if, you know, if they stake a revolution and it all goes to shit, I guess torn down. Well, they could still go back to their gaff and be fine. And like, you know, they can presumably face very few repercussions, whereas the people of lower status in society will suffer more, even though it's them that are supposedly being fought for. That's kind of what happens at the end of Lame Is. It's like, oh, oh, really? I just thought it, they were all happy. <laughs> nope. He got to marry Amanda Seyfried, and everyone was happy. Mm, that's that's kind of what happened. That, that's what Tom Hooper, you know, that's how he frames it. But in the in the musical, it's kind of like a a a bittersweet wedding, a, a bittersweet ending. It's like, hey, okay, yeah, sure, fucking uh, Marius gets his happy ending, but. Look at the destruction that he's left in his wake. Like, oh my goodness this gracious. This is very much a lot of you saying, the musical's so good, the musical's so good. Yeah, we're not focusing enough <laughs> on how the movie is. Because the movie's bad, actually. Yeah, the movie's not great. It's really not. And again, uh, just on that topic of uh, stage conventions versus cinema conventions, like, uh, the way... You know, I don't necessarily have a problem with all the... I don't know how to explain this, but basically, like the if you watch a stage production of Les Mis, it's normally pretty stripped back. The stage, the the like uh, stage and set doesn't change that much, and normally it's like the characters when they have lines, they step up to a fucking mic, they deliver their lines, like they because it's you know it's all sung, except not in the movie. It's not. There's a few spoken lines which are kind of written in. Uh, and then when they're not speaking, they disappear, they change outfits, they come out, they step up to the mic, and stuff kind of happens around them. Whereas in the movie, they can't focus on that. Like, you have Hugh Jackman, who is normally a very good singer, being caught between trying to act out his lines and sing them out, and kind of not hitting either of them particularly well. Mm. You have that with a lot of the actors, I feel. Like, there's uh, even Anne Hathaway's solo uh i dreamed a dream very fucking famous song from this musical yeah it's the, the big scene in the film everyone remembers yeah it's you know she you know she sings it really really well but there's a bit where she's kind of crying the lyrics out and sure it's a motive but you kind of miss some of the lyrics like they they come out kind of slurred that's just you know since this is being done for screen rather than stage there's more focus on like hey look at these actors acting as opposed to hey look at these theater singers doing their thing and it's... then there's Russell Crowe <laughs> there's Russell Crowe <laughs> so anyway yeah. uh... <laughs> um, I do have notes did you take any notes uh, nope as as I tend to do with these middle movies I, I mainly just went with the mental stuff um, see the thing is my a lot of my 
Oh, I'm sorry. Another problem with this. I've just seen it in my notes. There's a there's a whole gay romance that they left out. There's a gay romance amongst the rebels that's just completely gone, cut. Yeah, this week we watched Neil and Genesis Evangelion. <laughs> uh. um, just he see, laughed when I said the thing he knew. Yeah, I knew the thing. Um, see, a lot of my notes kind of are to do with the the story rather than the actual film. But you know, my thoughts on the film are basically fuck the film. I I, I don't think it's <laughs> the best rendition of the story. Uh, note all. to future Jack, replay the clip of him saying he recommends it. I recommend it, but I don't think it's the best version of this story by a long shot. Uh, maybe, it, I don't know. You know, I, I, I still got some. Then why would you it. recommend one of the good versions? Well, I do. I would, re- I would far more recommend the 25th anniversary live concert with Nick Jonas as Marius. And he, <laughs> like, he's a way better Marius. He's definitely the weak link in that performance, but he fucking, he manages to hold his own amongst these uh, Matt Lucas is also uh, Monsieur Trenarie in it. Oh, I love that bit where he comes on, starts seeing Crash. <laughs> That's a reference to last year. Um, Please listen to last year. <laughs> but um, we'll say, uh, one thing that I really uh, wanted to bring up, because this is a, a link to our podcast... That was pre-existing, oh, dear and I didn't even realize until I, I had I was having a look through the cast of uh, the twenty fifth anniversary performance of Les Mis. Uh oh, and uh, Javert is played by a guy called Norm Lewis in the stage rendition. African American actor and singer, really talented guy. Uh-huh. Uh, and like when I think of Javert, I think of him because he does it so well. Like Russell Crowe is just like he's amazing. He's, he's, <laughs> he's he says so. He says I'm Javert. Javert. Yeah, my like, God. Okay, I guess you are. But like uh, Norm Lewis, like brings like so much like fucking menace, like genuine menace to the role of Javert. Like it's fucking amazing to watch. I uh, know. Yeah. Every time I see Russell Crowe, I'm like, oh, the tension. He might start. <laughs> he might start singing at any moment. <laughs> He looks so airbrushed or something as well. It looks like they've facetuned him. I don't, I don't know. He looks too smooth. Uh, uh, they fucking uh, face-swapped him, yeah. But um, Norm Lewis, so played Javert yeah. in uh, Les Mis. He's also part of the main cast in Spike Lee's uh, The Five Bloods. He plays Eddie. All right. Here's uh, a link to our podcast. He appeared in a production of Jesus Christ Superstar and played Caiaphas. Uh, and in that uh, production of Jesus Christ Superstar, Alice Cooper played King Herod. Okay. <laughs> and obviously, Jesus Christ Superstar yeah, featured. We, it, we we don't need to go into we don't why. Need, we don't need to listen go into... to last year if you really want to. <laughs> Here's the worst link, though. He played a small character in a film, and the character was called Reginald. Uh, and that film. Where he played a character called Reginald was Sex and the City 2. Jesus fucking Christ. <laughs> That's not even really a link to our podcast. I mean, it's That's just... a fucking tenuous one at best. I mean, you know, without Sex and the City 2, we might, you know, we might not have come across, I don't know, you know, I mean, worst idea of all time. To be fair, Blartcast was very much more mm. the introduction here. Yeah, but without Sex and the City 2, no Blartcast. That's entirely possible. Fuck, alright, you you may have a point. Mm. Jesus Christ. It also, uh, again, on a further tenuous link, 
James Acaster appeared on that podcast. James Acaster's oh, yeah, agent. Shit, you got a point. <laughs> it's it's it all it all comes back around. And James Acaster's agency is of course PVJ, and that is the only link he has to last the year. Only link we're willing to talk about. Uh, other than that, the rest of my notes are kind of like story based, just on like uh, how I think it, there's like a lot of interesting symmetries between like the different plots. Such as, uh, now if I can remember why I wrote this one down. I'll come back to that one. But uh, there's, uh, <laughs> Those the are my whole, favorite notes. the whole idea of unseen characters, uh, like invisibly influencing the stories of on stage or on screen characters. Uh, God has a fucking huge influence on Javert and Jean Valjean. Well, of course, in... it's my theory that the priest is literally meant to be God. I don't think so. I think I do. I think Jean Valjean and Javert's kind of dichotomy is like two two people who have come from very very similar backgrounds and, and want to do a big smooch. I want to do a big smooch. Um, but and have found solace in religion but taken the message of religion in more or less opposing forms. So it's like, you know, they're both uh, criminal-ish backgrounds. Uh, Javert's parents are supposedly criminals. He was born in a cell. He tells us so. They both want to do a big smooch. They both want to do a big smooch, which probably was frowned upon back then. Uh, Jean Valjean... Just saying, I don't ever see any of them going to smooch any woman. (laughs) Jean Valjean, a convicted criminal, you know, put into prison, and then kind of try, you know, is basically goes on the run and falls into a pattern of doing bad once again by stealing from this priest who has given him a, a shelter for the night. And once he's captured, the priest kind of, instead of turning him in, shows mercy. It's like, oh no, I gifted all the, all the silver onto him. Hey, you, were, you, you forgot these candlesticks. And basically tells him, look, I've been, he's like, consider this a, a bargain with God. Take all the shit that I've given you and start a new life for yourself and do good onto others. Whereas Javert, and you kind of have to... With Javert's kind of links to religion stuff, you do have to dig a little bit, but he does talk about doing his service to the Lord, which, you know, at points he'd be like, I don't know, maybe he's just talking religious. But you have to think about the fact that uh, France was governed by monarchy at the time. That monarchy's power was supposedly divine-given monarchy set all the laws he's basically holding the law what he sees as the law of god and sees you know basically says no one is kind of uh i guess worthy of total absolution until they like pass onto the afterlife (laughs) his whole obsession with jean valjean he's like you're a criminal you'll always be a criminal you're not able to fucking attain redemption it's not possible and that's why I'm doing this. And I want to smooch you. And I want to smooch you. Hey, we uh, love a bad boy. Uh, whereas in the Revolution storyline, we have another invisible character in the form of General Lamarck, who we never meet, but his death is kind of the dog whistle for the revolution to begin. Uh, never see him, but he's kind of like a, a man of the people, we're told, and yada, yada, yada. I just thought that was interesting. You have two invisible characters influencing both of those storylines note to future jack edit fart noises underneath (laughs) all of this purely to keep the audience interested (laughs) 
Um, one thing I do appreciate about this film now because it's something you don't get with stage renditions. Uh, the grime and the violence. Like, in on the stage rendition, when there's a fight scene, it's just flashing lights and a few gunshot sounds and then people fall over. In this, we got kids getting shot in the fucking chest. Yeah, we, you're we, right. That was an improvement. We we got huge, ja- huge, huge Jack man, <laughs> fucking literally covered in shit. Like in, in <laughs> yeah, that was pretty funny. Yeah, I, I left that out of my synopsis. <laughs> I should have put that in there. He was covered in poo poo. He's covered in poop as he saves Marius. Uh, <laughs> poo poo, stinky. Like, and they don't skimp on it. He is coated head to toe <laughs> in poo poo. <laughs> and then Javert's like, "Stop, poo poo man! <laughs> <laughs> One more step and you're poo poo, <laughs> <laughs> poopy." Um, what else have I got here? Jean Valjean basically acts as a scapegoat for Cassette. Uh, that's the whole reason he disappears, and like, because he's like, I'm a wanted criminal. Wherever I go, trouble will follow me. Uh, I'm wanted by the law. I gotta take if yeah, if that's fa- if Cassette finds out about that, and people find out about that in general, Cassette's like honor is fucking ruined, and she's she'll be seen as like the daughter of a criminal, basically. So I gotta go away and take that sin with me. Which is another scapegoat. Keep coming back to it this year. Yeah. Uh, Jean- I'm not sure we've explained what a scapegoat is. Let me do that real quick. <laughs> uh, Jean Valjean literally kills Javert with kindness. <laughs> no, Javert kills himself <laughs> by jumping off a bridge. <laughs> Idiot. Um, another line that kind of surmises the whole, like... The fact, you know, it's the one kind of hint that we get that it's not a happy ending. And it's not meant to be a happy ending because they... They couldn't really change this lyric, but there's a lyric uh, at Cassette and Marius's wedding as the uh, Monsieur and Madame Trinadier are being escorted out. Uh, you know, they're basically their whole bit there is basically, "Hey, fight all you want, badness will always exist in the world. Clear off the barricades, and we're still there." I was like, "Okay, that like at least they fucking left that in. At least we got that." Yeah, they never got any comeuppance, really. They just no, kind of... Exactly. It's, yeah, th- it's, that's bad storytelling. No, <laughs> but it speaks to the whole thing. It's not meant to be a happy ending. All right, <laughs> so you look at something like Sallow or Angst or whatever, and you're just like, oh, this is just miserable and horrible and bad. And just like, oh, why isn't why isn't this good? And then you watch this, and you're like, no, this is great. All the bad people still exist and don't get punished. This is good. <laughs> fucking lame is. I think, I think, uh... Yeah, I, like, I think you're just stupid. I've not seen Sallow. I want to see Sallow. Angst can lick my rim. I've got a, <laughs> got a big old. I've started a big old list for next year because uh, audience next year. I should I should point out we only have like ten weeks left. Yeah. So I should we should start making plans for next season, which uh, I I we we we've decided we are definitively not going on any theme next year. Like we're not doing any repeat viewings. We're not doing anything. We are just gonna watch a film each week or maybe mm. not even each week we'll maybe relax the schedule a little mm. and to not have such strict deadlines you know just because it's a bit stressful uh but one of the things i was thinking next year was just trying to break your brain with just uh, not necessarily all disturbing movies but a lot of disturbing <laughs> movies and a lot of bizarre movies and a lot of bad movies <laughs> hey, so I'm, like I'm one week it might be sallow the next week it might be 
uh, Blood Freak, which is a film about a man who eats a turkey covered in LSD, and then he grows, <laughs> then he grows a turkey head, uh, and uh, the yeah, and then he starts killing people because he needs to eat the blood of drug users wow. to, uh, to stay alive. Uh, and then the next week it might be Manos, uh, <laughs> and then the next week it might go back to Salem. <laughs> That sounds so, nice. Yeah, just the, the brain-breaking year. But at the same time, I'm questioning whether or not that's a good idea because, you know, we love our audience and the uh, our audience is small and dedicated enough that I, a lot of them, I gather, do genuinely watch the films we talk about. And I'm not sure I want to inflict that upon you people. <laughs> I mean, I've heard Salo's good. No guy did, his, did a, a thesis on Sallow. Yeah, you've also heard it's bad. I've also heard it's bad. I think it's mixed. I, I'm I, I gave it the same rating I gave Zardoz. Seven out of ten. <laughs> My highest rating. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I'm excited for Sallow. Uh, yeah. So anyway, that might be next year. Uh, let us know what you think, audience. Uh, submit to your mailbag whether you think the brain-breaking year is a good shout or not. <laughs> uh, or if you just want us to watch whatever we feel like. I don't know. If you have any suggestions for like a vague format of next year, uh, obviously let us know. We're open to suggestions. Hmm. I mean, if we're going themed, I could already think of one mutt that could possibly steer us in the right direction. What are you thinking about? Mutt. Dog? Uh, you want to watch the Kevin Smith film Dogma on repeat? Ruh-roh. Oh, <laughs> I see. You want to watch Dogma 95 films? Uh, no, I don't want to do that. Uh, uh. <laughs> Alright, idea. Jinkies. Dogma 95 Scooby-Doo movie. That work exactly. <laughs> like I guess they use a real dog that, that really it. talks, <laughs> or maybe it doesn't. Maybe it's dubbed over. Maybe it's dubbed over like live on set. You don't know. <laughs> oh God. You know, like how they used to do Mr. Ed with the little. They'd have the fish line in his jaw that opened his mouth. Just do that, but with a dog. Um, it would only be quite illegal. Yeah, pretty illegal. So what do we do now? Do we uh, do the mailbag? I guess we do the mailbag. Uh, yeah, lame is fucking bad movie. Don't don't watch it. Good musical, bad movie. Bad. Uh, it might be a good musical. I don't know. But if this movie's anything to go by, man, I I'm never gonna I, watch it. I just. Do you know what? I think uh, Tom Hooper could suck my ass. He tr he tries to make uh, non sympathetic <coughs> He tries to make characters and hysterical figures that aren't meant to be sympathetic, sympathetic. Yeah, that's the main reason I hated cats. Uh. <laughs> so, we have uh, a few questions okay. uh, this mailbag. Uh, number one is from zzz.oe, oh. uh, who asks, Why my penile hurt? <laughs> Good question. Now... Have you been in contact with any onions or ogres? Have you been in contact with any slime? Well, she knows you. If, if you suffer from penile slime, seek help from your local shaman. 
I, I'm, I'm happy with that answer. Uh, next question comes from Joe to Earth, who asks, uh, this this is going to be a loaded one. What would your sequel pitch for a new Mamma Mia be? Ooh. Do we tell them? Ooh. Yeah. How much do we tell them? I mean, you could read the plot synopsis. <laughs> uh, I'd need to pull it up, but yeah, we uh, we have a we ha- have a, a <laughs> Jesus. we have a plot synopsis uh, uh, written out. Hold on, let me. Okay, so we we've been discussing this for a while, and this is something we still might do, though there's no set deadline on it. We were discussing writing essentially a radio play, <laughs> where we would. Uh, write it as a script but we would like take we would write uh every other scene without looking at the other person's script yeah so it would just come off as a jumbled mess and then we'd do it all live as a radio play uh but uh this was all in anticipation of abba's recent album uh which uh i listened to once it was released uh so that i could uh write the the sequel based on this and uh, I didn't write any script, but I did write an entire treatment, <laughs> uh, which uh, shouldn't take too long to read the entire thing. So, Sophie is in Kilkenny, living a peaceful life. That's the song Ode to Freedom. She went there to, I don't know, visit Sam's ancestors or something. Fernando and Cher are managing the hotel in Greece, so Sophie decides to stay in Ireland because it's lovely. <laughs> Sky has been gone for years. As Sophie is left alone, still pining for her long-lost slime when you danced with me. <laughs> the village fair is coming up, and Sophie decides to team up with Rosie and Tanya to reform the dynamos and take the grand prize. Also singing there are the Greek gods, still going after all these years. <laughs> Sky returns for the fair, and Sophie is torn about his return. Flashback. Christmas with Sophie and baby Donnie. Sky comes in dressed as Santa. Little things. Uh... <laughs> Uh, I've got written here uh, there's a lyric in the song music box that will fit in socks Uh, and then I've got slipping through my fingers music box written there for that meanwhile Bill and Rosie are trying for a baby (laughs) (laughs) Uh, and I've I've had it I had it pointed out to me by someone uh, (laughs) after I submitted this treatment to them that Rosie's probably gone through the menopause. Uh, So this doesn't quite work. So I came up with the solution that uh, they're trying with a surrogate uh, who was actually the woman that Bill was talking to in Angel Eyes and that's why he was talking to her. Uh, And it was all a big misunderstanding. Uh, but anyway, it turns out that Bill is infertile, and probably has been the entire life. Oh, God. It probably has been his entire life. Uh, but Sophie still feels as though he's one of her dads. You know, she still feels connected to him. Mm-hmm. So she's like, hey, there's no reason why we can't test Sam and Harry and figure out which of them is my biological dad. And it turns out neither of them are. <gasps> anyway, eventually... Sophie's singing, you know, singing a song. She's preparing for the big village fair, uh, the big singing competition. And, uh, you know, the Greek gods are there. And Lazarus hears her. And he says, he tells her uh, that he once heard a woman sing that, sing like that once, a long time ago. She had good voice. <laughs> also, this is where I've just got written here. Also, Lazarus' father is but rich. <laughs> they look similar. Yeah, they, yeah, I yeah, could yeah. see a familiar relation. Flashback. 
Sophie and Skye's breakup. I can be that woman. Uh, so anyway, Sophie and the Dynamos are seeing at the at the fair. Just a notion. Uh, Sophie seems to be directing it at Sky, and Sky becomes increasingly jealous of all the wolf whistles they get. <laughs> Flashback: Sky leaves with their son. Keep an eye on Dan. Uh, that's uh, th I've got written here just until the lyric. Though my heart ached. Uh, afterwards, Sophie goes home and has a meltdown. No doubt about it. Uh, so anyway. A wild horse gets out and is about to wreck the fair. <laughs> but Lazarus declares that he is also an animal, rips his shirt off, and attempts to stop the horse. He succeeds, but gets trampled and dies. As he dies, he is greeted by Donna's ghost. I still have faith in you. Flashback. Sophie accepts her life without Sky and finally finds peace, owed to freedom. This transitions into the start of the film before we return to present day. Sky tries to win Sophie back, don't shut me down, but she's learnt her lesson and slams her, her cottage door in his slimy face. End credits, Bumblebee. That's my that's my <laughs> treatment for a Mamma Mia free. Uh maybe I'll maybe we'll turn it into a radio play someday. Uh, you, uh, uh just saying that if uh, if Universal are listening, uh hit me up right here. <laughs> Right here, if you need a, a screenplay written, uh, and if you need cheap booze, um, I know a guy. And if you need an arc building, I know a guy. <laughs> Our next question comes from freaking alien Alfie, who says, "It's my birthday." Happy birthday, Alfie. Our next question comes from freaking alien Alfie, who says, "Turn this into a Scooby Doo podcast for my birthday." Happy birthday, Alfie. On to the patrons. <laughs> Our first patron is Mrs. H. Our second patron is Andy Kinsler. If you want to support us on Patreon, go to patreon.com forward slash freebeans.com. That's we're free. If you donate $1 or more per month, you get your name shouted out in this section. If you donate even more, you know what? There are other pledges that I've completely forgotten what they are, and I've probably regretted putting them up for as cheap as I have, but you can find them by going to patreon.com forward slash freebeansoutpod. They might be really interesting. Who knows? Mm, I mean, uh, you could, like, uh... You could probably buy the podcast for a price. <laughs> Not very much. No. We're, we're cheap. 100 quid? 120 maybe? That's euros, by the way, not dollars. Yeah, it's 60 quid each. That's pretty good. <laughs> man, imagine all of the IKEA hot dogs we could buy with that. Oh, baby. Oh, man, I sure could go for 100 hot dogs right now. <laughs> Anyways, will we have to split any to to, to Robin? I feel like we yes, <laughs> she can have thirty quid. She, yeah, we get sixty, she gets thirty. That's that's how we split the hundred and twenty. Farewell. <laughs> no, no. Anchors away, <laughs> away, away. <laughs>